We have commented here that we're really a children's church with adult programming. It's just, <laughs> seriously, they run the church. But good to have our bigger kids in here with us. What can go wrong, right? Uh, I got a text this morning from a pastor friend. I'm on a group of about a dozen pastors, mostly around town, and we meet up uh, occasionally and, and just encourage one another. And, and uh, the last one I read this morning, you know, was responding to just some, some prayers and stuff. It's like, much love, grateful, grateful today for each of you. Don't screw it up. And I feel like as long as I don't use profanity, like I'm going to be okay. <laughs> so thank you, Michelle. I, I, I breathe some, like, really, I can do that. I can do that. It's not my strong suit, but I can do it on a Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, a few weeks back, uh, our friend Brett hosted a casino night at his house for his birthday. It was a fundraiser for his birthday. And uh, he played different games, roulette and blackjack and poker, and earning chips for an auction at the end of the night. So there was items, auction items at the end of the night. And uh, this is yard equipment and uh, a personal show from Last Great Decade, which was a, a big one. Uh, yeah, Last Great Decade in the house. Woo! A couple fans. That's, that's more than I usually get. Yeah, that's, that's a big turnout for you. And, uh, and, and a haircut session from, from my wife. She donated a haircut. And of those items, like, I assumed I would have to try hard for the haircut, right? Like, even though I, I'd love to have Josh's band play in my living room, uh, I, I need haircuts. And it's my wife, so, like, I have to, you know, feel like I should support that. My wife does great haircuts. And, and I thought, I mean, I'm going to go in and, and just give it my best shot at the haircut, right? I, I need haircuts. If you've been around here, a lot of times I, give, I go too long between haircuts. I wear hats all the time. And I like, this will actually help me because I do need a haircut, and it will support my wife. So it's like killing two birds with one stone. And so I hold back my bids for the other items, and, like, the haircut comes around, and, and I'm like, all right, I'm going all in on this thing. I just give it everything I have. And, like, the auction, Brett's going, like, $30. So I hear $30. I'm like, mm, that seems like a little high. But <laughs> no, no, just kidding. And so I go, I go you know, like 60 bucks, you know, which I thought would be plenty. I'm like, I got the haircut for 60 bucks. I'm sure I'm going to get it. Until another hand goes up in the room, and it's like Michael Big Bags Richard. And he just like throws down some kind of bid that I could not compete with, and he wins the haircut, right? So all is lost. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to be able to get a haircut. Amy's going to be ticked at me because I lost at poker. And, and, and you know, so you're like wondering why I don't get a haircut. Why don't you just go get your haircut somewhere else? Now, Baxter, your wife is, is a cosmetologist and a stylist. She's excellent at what she does. She does, does a great job caring for me and my family. So, but so sometimes she's busy and, and doesn't always work out. So I'm like, why don't you get your haircut somewhere else? The last time I went to get my haircut somewhere else, she almost divorced me. Like a number, this is a number of years ago, I'm, I'm putting on a fundraiser event downtown. It's kind of a fancy event. I'm running around all day. And I'm setting up, and by afternoon, I'm like, oh, gosh, this, is, this event's coming together. I should really get cleaned up. And I feel like, gosh, I could really use a haircut. I'm going to be you know, speaking, interacting with people. I didn't have much time. And someone who we were working with at, at the venue said, hey, I, can, I can think we can get you in at Michael Kelly. So I go to, go to Michael Kelly to get my haircut. And, and I do the event. And that night, I see Amy. And I'm trying to like downplay that I got my haircut. But she definitely noticed. And she's like, did you get your haircut? I'm like, um, uh, maybe. You know, Where was it? I'm like, uh, Michael Kelly? You went to Michael Kelly? I'm like, I needed a haircut. And then she says, who did it? And I said, honestly, I don't know. And she says, was it a girl? I'm like, um, yes. And then you guys, I'm not kidding. She said, did she touch you? And I'm like, a little. And that's it. That's the last thing I remember. I was like, I'm not doing that again. This is why I needed a haircut coupon. But I couldn't afford it. I have enough to pay for the haircut. But then out of the goodness of his heart, Upon taking the coupon, Michael Richards reaches across the room and hands me this haircut that I could not afford and saves me and my marriage. So thank you, Michael Richards. That's the Easter story. And I do have it. Thanks for coming out, everybody. Uh, Easter is a... Is a, is a
day, and it is, that is a lot of the Easter story. It's this act of paying for something that we cannot afford, even if you don't know that yet. And I'm going to read out of John 20. We're going to read a, a bit of this story this morning, and we'll make a few, uh, make a few observations and hopefully come, away with, uh, hopefully come away with something. So John 20 goes like this. This is early on the first day of the week. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved and says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. So she's in panic. She's right raced to the tomb. He's gone. She's very concerned. Grave robberies were very common in this day, particularly of those who belonged uh, to affluent pe people like Joseph of Arimathea, which Jesus was in that tomb. So she said, man, this was a target and someone has taken Jesus out. They came in, they went in for the spices and oils and things that would go in the tomb. And, they, and she's panicking. She runs back to the disciples. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb, and both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And, and this is a narrative of the very first Easter, and the writer wants us to be very clear on the fact that Peter is a slow runner. He bent over and looked into, in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So he's at this sort of entrance of this almost kind of small cave-looking room. They're in a bed, and there's just linens laying there. Simon Peter came along behind him. He went straight into the tomb. Got close up, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen, as if he made his bed and everything was neat and taken care of. And by the way, Jed, I noticed you made your bed this morning. Like, talk about a miracle. Thank you, Jed. Way to be like Jesus, my boy. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary, who had come to get them in the first place, stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. As if this tomb had been robbed, and the good things had been taken out, and the, and the gardener came by, well, I guess I get to get the body out of here. And Mary is standing there in despair, talking to this person, and all of a sudden this person, Jesus, said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out, Teacher, and she recognized Jesus. And this is the Easter story told by John. And a few things I notice here for you and I, those who encounter the story of Jesus first, those who are on the scene, are those who wanted him, wanted him the most. These are some that loved Jesus the most. And they went to Jesus, and there was a Jesus revelation. And Mary, while it was still dark, pursued the place that Jesus was. Peter and John ran to the tomb. And when it comes to God, and this is for so many of us today, there's always reward in pursuit. There's always reward in pursuit. This is an extraordinary moment in history. Everything has changed. And to be the first at the tomb, the first to see the risen Lord, Mary is blessed by this. She pursued, she pursued. And we feel like we've lost touch with God because some of us go through those places. Maybe you're there now. What I wonder is if, if it's that we've stopped pursuing God. We've stopped putting forth effort. When we talk with people, and I, I hear this often, it's like, I don't, I don't see God. Well, have you looked for him? 
I don't feel God. Well, have you reached out for him? I don't hear from God. Well, have you listened for him? And this works for relationships as well. Think about your relationships. Relationships require pursuit. Your spouse, your husband, your wife, your friends. Like, I feel kind of distant from them from lately. Well, have you reached out? Have you pursued? Your family, children, parents. I'm just not feeling connected. Well, are you pursuing? Are you pursuing? When it comes to Jesus, there's always a reward in pursuit. There is a reward in pursuit. Now, for these disciples and Mary and Peter and John, everyone else, they didn't have to know what they were doing exactly to run to Jesus. Peter and John hear this news like, I, we don't, I, don't, I don't know what's happening, but they just start going. Mary didn't know what was going on, but she gets there. Peter and John stood in a bit of wonder and confusion. They weren't looking for the empty tomb. Like, oh yeah, we knew it. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what was going on, but they got started. They just started heading in that direction. And for you, wherever you're at in faith, maybe you maybe were just beginning, maybe you haven't started yet. The secret of faith is getting started. It's just getting started. Well, that's too much for me. I don't understand it. I'm not smart enough. I haven't been brought up and I haven't learned enough. Just get started. Peter and John, they wake up, let's go, let's get started on this story. Mary, first thing in the morning, I'm going to head to the tomb. Let's get started. The secret of faith is getting started. And your journey with God starts the same way it did for our three characters here. They're just, they're just trying to get a little closer to Jesus. They don't know what that means. They don't know where it's going, but we're just going to get a little closer. Right, for you and I, that's a large part of that is being in community. So many people drift from God. I'm not really feeling close to God. They haven't been to, to church community in years. Well, of course, this is, this is one of the ways we connect. It's prayer, it's worship, it's, it's friends of, who are connected with God. Wow, we don't know what's going on. We don't know everything that's going on. We don't have to know what's going on. We don't know if Jesus is going to be there or he's not there or if it's going to be a miracle or it's just going to be some kind of coincidence or it's body. We don't know, but we're going to get started. We're going to get started on this story. The secret of our faith, because it seems so big and overwhelming for some of us, it's just to get started. It's to crack that Bible, it's to have a conversation, it's to show up to a place of, of worship. It can be hard and it can be complicated, and sometimes that's just us, we make it complicated. The secret to this faith is getting started. I think of the other disciples who didn't get up and move. And, and you know, Mary comes to this house, presumably where a bunch of them were staying. It's like he's not there. Like you would think everybody would get up and start running. Like, oh my gosh, wait, whether he's gone or, or what happened, we want to find out. How do you think they'd all get going? But Peter and John run, and the others, they didn't. I almost expect them to trickle in behind. Like, Peter and John got there first, but then everybody else got there. No, Peter and John got there, then they went all the way back to the house with the other disciples. And maybe the other disciples were scared. This was a difficult time, right? Jesus was put on the cross kind of for a reason. He was a problem for the empire and the prevailing religious system. So maybe they're scared. We don't want to show up. Maybe they're in despair. Like, man, we thought this was going to go so differently. Because life does that sometimes. We thought this was going to be different. Now he's gone. Or maybe they're just tired. There's been a couple long nights. Maybe they've watched Jesus get arrested and, and put on the cross. Maybe they've just kind of already moved on. Like, wow, that didn't work out. That Jesus thing, I guess, didn't work out. Right? And sometimes we don't go to Jesus because we don't think we need Jesus. We just say, oh, I don't know. I don't really need him anymore. I don't need Jesus. Just because you don't think you need Jesus doesn't mean you don't. 
Because we don't know what we don't know. Just because you don't think you need Jesus doesn't mean you don't. And we need him because he's the one in our narrative, in our Christian belief and tradition, who orders the universe, also brings order to your life. Right? And we need him because we can't afford to pay for ourselves. Jesus has offered to pay the bill. This is the good news. This is like, man, I, I, I love that haircut, but I can't afford it. Jesus is like, I got it. I got it. And he just pays for it. He pays for your life. All your ups and downs, he's paid for. This is the good news. It's good news because God is no longer having to keep track of how much you have to do to balance out where you fall short. Right? He frees us from the system like, oh gosh, did, I, did my good scales outweigh the bad scales? No, he just paid for it all. It's like, let me, let me just make this easier for you. I'm going to pay for all, all the junk in your life. I'm just going to pay for that. I'm going to buy it all. I ordered these stickers a little while back uh, for fun to put up in random places. And it's Jesus kind of peeking out, and it says, um, let me see, I have a picture of it. And it just says this, I saw that. <laughs> so I, stare, I stick them up random, like by the skate parks and stuff, where I pe think people are doing bad things. Where my kids go, I saw that. Like there's one in my beer fridge in my garage, just in case anybody, uh, you know, reaches in for something they shouldn't. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> it's, it's really there. Can't make this stuff up. Uh, <laughs> But if you're like me, when you look at that, when you think about Jesus saying, I saw that, what do we think? It's a negative connotation, right? It's like, oh, I saw that. Like, you were being bad, and I saw that. Jesus is watching you. Jesus is watching you. But what if that's not what he's doing all the time? Right? Maybe it's not Jesus poking around corners watching when you do something bad. What if that's not how he's looking at us because of what he did on the cross? He's accomplished that, so he doesn't have to do this. It doesn't have to be keeping notes of everything you're doing. He's like, I got it. I paid it all already. You can't mess it up. What if he's not looking at you like, oh, I saw that. But what if he's rather looking at you as his sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, as he's proud of you, as he's impressed by you, as he loves watching you? Not in a creepy way, but like in an interested, enamored way. I saw that. Right? Less of a judge, more of a proud parent. Right? Kids love seeing when parents notice them, do anything. Oh, I saw that, buddy. I saw that. I saw that, sweetheart. I saw that. Because Jesus isn't about writing down every bad thing that you're doing. He's covered it all. He's paid it all. And so he can be less of a judge and, and, and just more of someone who loves you. Loves watching how hard you work and how you take time with your kids and when you show kindness to a stranger and when you smile, he's like, I saw that, I love that. He wants you to be whole in a world where most of us are running on empty. He wants you to be filled and whole. And this is the good news. This is good news that you can enjoy that. This is the Easter story. It's, it's grace and salvation and atonement and, and renewal. It's all these things. And the story of, uh, of grace is us admitting that we need help. It's admitting our faults, admitting I, I can't do this, I'm frail, I'm broken. It's admitting I, I'm hurt, I'm wrong. It's admitting that I am helpless. And I need this, Jesus, I need this story. I need this reconciliation with God the Father. A while back I was driving with Amy and we we're talking about the kids and devices and, and, and phones and you know, it's how we can create you know, healthy boundaries and how we manage that. And admitting her old fault, Amy said, and I know I'm the worst. 
we're talking about the kids, but he said, then I know, but he said, I know I'm the worst. But then she said, and so are you. <laughs> I'm the worst and so are you. And she's not wrong, I guess, but, but when we think about the encountering the personal grace of Jesus, we do have to get to a place where realizing it is for you. It is for you. We don't pray, Jesus, I'm the worst, and so is everybody else. Now, that's kind of true, but it's about you. It's, it's where you're at. It's admitting you're all oh, the world's out of control, the world's broken. But you know what? Also, you're broken. You're part of that world. You're part of that. And when we receive that, we can drop the guilt and the shame and the doubt and the feeling of, of being alone, and we can embrace love, and we can accept this gift of Jesus. The story, the songs that we sing, you paid it all, you paid it all. He's paid it all. And maybe like, I don't know, I don't really need anything paid for. Well, maybe not. But in our story here, we, we do, I do. I'm going to have our worship team come up and uh, begin to wrap. I was thinking about this idea of what Jesus sees, and I, I, I love thinking about him looking at you in a positive way. But I also believe that he sees when life is hard. And I believe he sees when life is unfair. And when you're shaking your head and when you're hurting and when you're crying by yourself, he says, yeah, I, I, I see that. I saw that. I saw how hard that was. We're going to be out in a lawn doing an egg hunt in just a little bit. And I have this distinct memory of this being at an egg hunt. It was really one of the only times I could remember at, at this scale. And I was probably around first grade. And I'm at this neighborhood house. And all these kids are there. And it's in this big yard. And we line up. And the parent says, OK, you know, you get like 12 eggs. And, and they kind of count it down. They say, all right, go, you know, go. They run out like we'll do in a moment with the kids. And I start finding eggs. And uh, some of them had candy. And some of them had money. And you can kind of tell by picking them up, like what was in it. You kind of hear it. You can kind of shake it. And I go through, and I start grabbing eggs and putting it in my basket. And then I start to find, like as the kids are running around, I start to find like eggs that are open and empty. And not in a good way, like the tomb, like they had been pillaged. <laughs> and don't get any ideas on this, kids. But some of the kids there, they were just raiding the eggs for money. And then they would move on so as not to go over their egg count. So they break the thing open, take the stuff out, put it in their pocket, and move on. And I remember, I just remember feeling so sad. Like, I really did. I felt so sad. And I, and I, and I, was, and I was kind of panicking. And I, I was too scared to, to say anything to the adults. And I was really too shy to say anything to the kids. And I was just loading up on empty eggs. You know, I just felt so sad about that. And I didn't know it then. But it's like Jesus would say, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I saw that. I, I see you. I see where you've been. I see how that hurt. I saw that injustice. I see that brokenness. I see that sadness. I see all of you. And I love you. I see you in that place. And you say, I see you in that place, and I understand that place because I've been in that place. Jesus has been to the depths of sorrow and pain. He's been in that place. And he's with you in that place. And he is moved. He is moved by that injustice. He is moved by that pain you feel. He is moved by your sadness. And he doesn't like seeing his brothers and sisters 
hurt and sad and feeling like they're not enough. And you are enough because of him. That's what he's offering. He's like, no, you, you're enough. You are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. And this is the story that he's inviting us to come into. This is the good news. The good news is good news. The good news isn't that, like, hey, there's good news. There's a God, and he watches out for all the bad things you do. That's not good news. The good news is, hey, there's a God that loves you, and because of his son who went to the cross, he doesn't have to worry about keeping a list of what you're up to. So I'm going to pray, and I don't presume that everyone even knows Jesus here, and if, and if you don't, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive him. There's nothing weird, and, and you're not going to have to do anything crazy. But I'm just going to pray, and if you've never received Jesus before, we're going to have our heads down, our eyes closed. It just, you just lift up your hand, and we'll just pray together. But God, we thank you for this morning, for this story, for the blessing of the, of the good news, and just the honesty of it. I just pray right now for anybody and probably everybody who lives under a little bit of guilt and shame and not enoughness. So I pray for Oh, right. 